Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash beautifulhumans to become a Patreon. All right. Hello and welcome to the Tipsy Unicorn Podcast, which is in partnership with the Beautiful Human Social Change Cast. My name is Abigail Twyman, aka Mr. The Mysterious, Babs the Badass Behavioral Scientist, Emerging Social Activist, Tipsiest of Unicorns, and Founder of Action for a Peaceful World. At Afapua, we are on a mission to effing listen to stories of oppression and liberation, be radical in our development as accomplices, and take action in the service of dismantling systems of oppression that meet the quality expectations of established activists and their communities through this podcast and weekly radical action circles. We believe that the stories we hear influence the conversations we have, which drive the actions we take. So the question is, are you down to FBT? Well, then it's time to get tipsy, baby. I'm very honored and excited to welcome our eighth guest of 2021, Akila S. Richards, who is the host of the Fair of the Free Child podcast, author of Raising Free People, and one of the founding uh, original founding board members of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. I am very grateful that she accepted my invitation to come on the show. And so without further ado, Akila, let's go ahead and have you start by introducing yourself. What do you believe is important for people to know about you in order to understand who you are as a person and what fuels your fire? Um, what a juicy question. That's awesome. Thanks for the invitation. As I mentioned, it was good to have an easy yes, because sometimes you get an invitation and you're like, I don't, I don't really want to. But it was nice that it was an easy yes. So that's one thing people should know. I'm here because I super want to be, which always makes for a better conversation. <laughs> um, I am, let's see, I'm people's mama. My daughters are 17 and 15. And they really have been the, uh, the life guides. They've really been the orientation that led me to the work that I do now as an unschooling organizer and a person who just believes in youth rights as human rights and in the broad sense, and then more specifically, the power that I have as a mother, how those things impact the people that I raise, and also my beliefs around liberation, both being free uh, as a Black-bodied woman and also understanding oppression so that I don't perpetuate it, especially over children, because those are the people over whom I'll tend to have power. Absolutely. I, then that was what, you know, what connected me so strongly to your work and why I was so, you know, as I was sharing, I was a little hesitant to reach out because I'm new at this and, you know, had those feelings of self, self-doubt. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for Akila S. Richards. Um, but <laughs> what really fueled my connection with you is exactly that, you know, your, your focus on um, the, the rights of the children, treating them as humans, making sure that they're, you know, or understanding that they are worthy of our trust um, and that it's our, it's our jobs to you know, help them guide, you know, guide them on their paths, but not, um, you know, 
place our own our own oppression on top of them. Um, so I'm really excited to dig in <clears throat> and dig into this conversation yeah. with you. Yes, yes, me too, me too. And there, well, you'll hear for folks who are listening and and maybe have not really t- thought about the intersections of like parenting, privilege, and power, which is where I feel like my work sits, you'll notice that a lot of it will be familiar to you whether you are a parent or not. You'll notice that a lot of it will be familiar to you whether you love school or loved it or you hated it. A lot of these things are really openings for us to look at privilege and power Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also to look at the ways that colonization in particular has impacted how we school, how we look at learning, how we relate to each other, how we gather, and what opportunities we have to dismantle that. And that really, so so it starts out as being something like you hear the term unschooling and you think, oh yeah, those people are, they don't like school. But if you really pay attention to it, <laughs> you see that it's connected to a lot of things that you might resonate with, whether before you even talk about a classroom or a school building, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it gets really to the heart of being human. And as you said, you're, you know, we might not um, connect with it, right? Just hearing those words. But when we start to really dig in, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to, um, to getting some feedback from our community um, so they can, uh, because so I can hear kind of how they've connected to this and um, how. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So um, before we get started, one of the, you know, one of the things that I've been really focused on is this, you know, identifying for myself what are, you know, what those steps are to get myself kind of in a place where I'm ready to have these conversations. Because to be honest, it's very, um, it can be very anxiety provoking, right? Because we're having conversations Mm -hmm. that are, you know, we're tearing off the layers, we're lifting up the covers, we're getting down to um, some things that, you know, some pretty um, things that have hurt a lot of people. Um, And so it can yeah. It can be hard, but they're necessary conversations. And so, you know, the name of our podcast is Tipsy Unicorns. And I, you know, I named it that way for a particular reason, not because of any sort of glorification of intoxication, but really to kind of get down to that idea of getting in a space where we're ready and able to have that, have these conversations. So my first question for you. Akila, in the honor of mad question asking, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it is, what do you, how do you get, how do you get centered and get into that place where you're, you know, you're in the space where you're willing and able to have those conversations? I don't look at it as, I don't think I'm able to get in the space. What I can do is assess whether I'm, I'm in that space. Because it's affect, it's impacted by so many things, and a lot of them are outside of my control. So, for example, if I'm going to do, I don't know, a, a self-directed education training thing in a in a city, and I'm just having a really horrible day at home, you know, whether it's with my partner or one of my daughters or the cats, just like somebody just really went there, and I'm not in a space to to show up with the type of openness that I. I like to be part of. Um, I can't, there's not a thing that I'm aware of doing for myself that can make me get there. What I can do is assess where I am. Um, and with that assessment, then I can really be 
honest and present about how then I show up. Like, do I need a facilitator to handle the person that's going to say the thing that I'm like, oh my God, please don't ask me what about math again. You know, because that's one of my, you know, a little thing that annoys me, not that it's not a legitimate question. It's just one that I don't want to answer anymore. And if I'm in a certain space, I know that I, I might take that personal. So my process would be to be honest and to bring in co-facilitation or to talk to whoever I'm working with to say, I had this sort of day today, I had this shitty day and I really want to be here for this and I'm going to lean a lot on, you know, y'all and small groups or whatever the case is. That That's how I approach that. Yeah, I love that. So kind of having it, having that process where you can check in with yourself, know, you know, know where you're at, where you're coming from, you know, coming into this space and then advocating for what you need to show up, right? To show up and be. Exactly. And, yeah. And to not be harmful, yeah, right? To, to show up and also to not be harmful mm. because that's, that's a part of how I understand unschooling is that it, it is about an ecology and not so much the individual so that when I'm entering a space, it is about what I want and need, but it's also what things I bring in with me. Some of those things might not be okay for someone else. Do I have processes in place for even recognizing that, let alone language or practice for, for doing something different? Because if not, I'm going to weaponize that feeling and it's going to be that person's problem. Mm, yes. I, yeah, I definitely understand that. And, you know, being able to art, you know, say the thing, you know, have the words to back your, back it up um, and communicate in a way that still has the impact that you're intending and not some, you know, some other impact that we're, you know, that's your work is actively trying to advocate against, right? <laughs> is, is violence, violence and oppression. <laughs> exactly. And, and when you, and when we do that, a part of the mindfulness around it is that when we say articulate it, you know, in the words, we, I believe that we got to be cautious about the reliance on uh, eloquence or even somebody's capacity to articulate a feeling in a moment, because words are one way that we communicate. And we have language differences and we have context differences and cultural differences. So words are not necessarily always the best. It's not always about whether you or I can articulate what we need with the right language and say it exactly how, whatever. It's about how we manage ourselves. So maybe my form of communication in that moment is not to try to say the right words to people and have that be the only thing. I'm covering a lot of bases. I'm talking to another facilitator saying, I'm feeling bad. Can you come in with me? I am maybe making my session shorter. This is for circumstances unforeseen. I'm going to need to cut it down to 70 minutes or whatever, you know, like to, to be able to do what you need to do in that moment. And to trust that what you need to do is not front, you know, like you're fine. And it's also not to believe that you can say the purpose and convey your feelings. It's to just show up in a way that you're taking responsibility for how you're feeling and the potential that that feeling could be harmful for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I kind of see that also as kind of tying into your, you know, your, or, you know, you in the general sense of um, self-liberation work because kind of pushing through all, all of those, you know, those heavy feelings when you're in that space, I, I liken that to violence on yourself, right? Self-harm, 
I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to suppress my own feelings about this situation to make you feel better. And that is that in and of itself, isn't that a perpetuating violence or wouldn't it be? It is. It is. Yes, absolutely. Onto the sex. And, and that one, if you make that decision, that's a problem for your person. Yes, it's, it's a problem for you. The other, one of the other parts of that is that you, because you suppress the feeling, you make the other person who's, who's giving you that feeling the problem. So you're not available to show up how you, how you really need to show up. So you can't, you can't listen. And so you're harming yourself, but you're also harming other people. They didn't choose it. You chose it. That's the thing that's really important when we talk about, you know, like the dynamics of when we say self-liberation, we're really talking about liberating ourselves from things that harm us, but also that harm other people, whether we mean to or not. Mm-hmm. There's so much, there's so much learning that needs to be done in terms of just, you know, just base, base knowledge, but really that skill development, because, you know, learning how to be kind to yourself, learning how to give yourself grace, learning how to trust yourself and trust others. It's a, you know, it's not a skill that can easily be flexed when you haven't, you haven't practiced it um, and you haven't really been in those spaces. So what do you, what are your recommendations for people in terms of, um, you know, content to consume like books or, you know, things like that or, um, exercises for themselves to kind of help continue to develop those skills um, that they need. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I definitely will veer away from the books because mm-hmm. I feel like that can, I, I mean, I am a, a writer. I wrote books, many books, including <laughs> uh, this most recent one on this topic. And I still would say that a part of our, the opportunity here, the time that we're in these weird ass times Mm -hmm. um, that also have some things that are very familiar as well. But one of the opportunities here is to really, one, to question everything. So I, I love that you brought up mad question asking, but also to veer away from schoolishness, to veer away from like, I'm gonna read the right things and then I'm gonna apply it on the people. Like if you're reading more books but about these things that you want to be educated around and you're also finding ways to be in community safely, you know, whatever that might mean, messily, however that might mean, if you then just doing another version of the same thing. So books are good, but let's make sure that we're also uh, practicing these skills with real people who are alive now in your community, maybe even in your home so that you can really practice these skills. Um, and so one of the things that I, that I do and invite for that, for the applying of the book knowledge or the forgetting about the books, if that's not even, you know, a thing that you can do, because it can also be a leisurely thing that we take for granted that people don't read just don't want to be, that's not always true for a variety of reasons. So one of the things that I invite is that when you are, um, whether it's a person who to be problematic for you, a person who pisses you off and, you know, like seven out of 10 times, they don't send you there or you're preparing for like this type of conversation. Like you were saying, Abby, and you're like, it's not about the person upsetting me, but you know, we're uncovering these layers and we're being vulnerable together as much as we can. 
So what I like to do is to start off, like I started off before we got on this call with this question, but how do you want to feel? And the question is to myself, and it starts with the ellipsis, the three dots, that, 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 but comma, how do you want to feel? And what that is for me is this mantra that really started with my parenting practice um, and moved over into everything else where it is me saying, I'm, I'm naming that there's some anxiety, there's some things that I feel, you know, some, some feelings that feel like I'm less in control or whatever. Those are there. That's what those three dots represent. These things exist and they, they're valid for me now. But comma, how do I want to feel? I want to feel like I can have this conversation and be honest and also be a good listener and to try to remember not to take these things personally, but also know that I don't need to feel like I'm making myself smaller. I can probably do that in this one hour conversation. And that's how I want to feel. And it, it really is just like, that's it. It's, it's that simple. It invites in the words, but it also invites in lots of feelings that my, you know, I can't name in words in a short time. It invites me into a space where I can say, I am not in control of what's going to happen here, but I do know how I want to feel. And when I know that, I can oftentimes orient myself towards that feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, setting, setting that intention for yourself um, ahead of time. And kind of setting the stage, so you're, you know, you're entering into it with with that intention. I think that's essential. Yes. And what you, you know, what you were just saying about reading um, and cons- you know consuming that information versus getting in and actually being in community, getting vulnerable with people, having the conversations, practicing those skills. Um, and, you know, we also, you know, we also kind of mentioned, or you mentioned, um, about, you know, not necessarily having to articulate a certain, uh, in th- things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's so, there's so much ableism in our world that, um, yep. really just, you know, it, it, it makes it difficult to, for people, I think, to, believe that they're ready to have a conversation. Uh, I haven't read this book. I haven't done that. So I'm not ready to have this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to say the wrong word. Which thing is PC? Which thing is not? Like, okay, you. we can read ourselves to the point. Like, we're all aware of people who know the right words. And we know they talk in foolishness. We can feel it. We can <laughs> feel it. You know, or or for everything they say that sounds right, there's something else where you're like, you know, what I, you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's more to our intelligence than words, than what somebody can connect to us with words. And as you said, not everyone can do that, nor should that be again how we orient ourselves to and because we equate articulate ways and eloquence with intelligence. We equate accents that are not, you know, these standard Western American accents with less intelligence. These are part of the reasons why, because we have these schoolish ideas of what ultimate communication is, you know, a person who could cancel everybody and shut it down. And if that's how you want to feel, then you got plenty of, you know, things in the, in the field to support that. But if you, when you ask that question, but how do I want to feel? 
and you do want to feel like even your vulnerability, even those have boundaries. You you don't want to go in feeling like everybody expects you to be nice and not get mad or not call shit shit if that happens, right? It's not that, but it's like, oh, how am I showing up here in a way that's really about what I want to convey, how I want to feel, and and not trying to to say the perfect thing or expect the perfect thing to be said in order for this to be a valid conversation. Yeah. And I think that is exactly how we get by, you know, creating those spaces and creating that, you know, creating a space where people feel comfortable, they feel accepted and honored, like that no matter who, no matter where you're at, no matter how you show up, no matter how you speak, like your voice and what you have to contribute and share is valid and valuable. Um, and I, you know, you, you had mentioned, you know, the state of the, the state of the state right now, you know, that we're in and um, with mm-hmm. COVID and how, you know, the changes that are happening, I think that has given us some more, um, some more opportunities to connect with people on a different level and, and really begin to have some more of these deeper conversations and include people and include voices that have, you know, historically either been left out intentionally or unintentionally, or have you know, those people haven't felt comfortable joining those spaces because, you know, they didn't believe that they were, you know, ready for it. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the things that I'm like, really excited about because I really feel like now everybody's unschooling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everyone is in a position where you have to say, okay, hmm, these things that I held as right and true, first of all, some of them I can easily identify as they never felt good for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so now that I'm in this different space, now not only am I having the opportunity to connect with other people differently, because I'm on a Zoom call with some people who need these things and people who can't have their camera on and people who, you know, all these different needs that people have. I'm in that room and I'm also a person in that room. So I'm experiencing it as a person, you know, observing the room and also a person in the room. Mm -hmm. So now I'm also getting to see how these things affect me. So as I'm learning about other people, I'm also self-study in a sense. How do I, how am I responding to these changes? How am I responding to when people don't go along with what we're saying, the changes now? What happens when I feel like a, that will always be in control, like getting to work by this time so that I can leave early to stop at my spot right here and do this? Now it's Zoom. And now somebody can call a meeting at this time and I'm on a few minutes later. Like, who am I when those things are happening? What are the triggers around that? How do I schedule my time and what I'm eating and who I'm talking to when I'm not forced to talk to somebody to manage all of we're getting to do these things more urgently and also more slowly. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's um that is a type of <laughs> salvation that we've really been needing. Yeah, I I could not agree with you more. This, you know, the slowing down and getting, you know, we're We've all been in the rat race, right? Many of us have been in the rat race. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, this forced slowdown where, you know, we can actually be mindful, be connected, 
um, and really reevaluate what matters, you know, what our, what our values are and our, are our actions in alignment with those values has been, it's, it's been a good thing um, in a lot of ways, I feel. Um, So I'm I'm excited. I I want to, yeah. I certainly want to say it has been, like much of uh, nature as in things that are going to happen throughout our lives. um, It also is layered, right? So Mm -hmm. every time we talk about the things that it has brought in, in terms of salvation, it also has been the opposite of that for many of us. And so Mm -hmm. it's all, it feels important for me to always name that um, because that's real and true for some folks as well, maybe some of who are listening to this podcast now. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that because there is, uh, there is a lot of privilege that go, you know, or there a lot of good things have been felt by a lot of people who have a lot of privilege and that is not, that is not the experience for everybody. Um, But I am hope, I am hopeful that those of us who do have the privilege and have been able to break the shackles a little bit better, um, you know, we'll be able to uh, connect more with those who have been hurt by this, by this situation. Yeah. And support. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that, you know, that that to me seems like it's been part of the problem. I've worked in the, you know, I've worked in clinical settings, public education settings, very oppressive, controlled systems. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, myself, I never felt like I was able to to serve those who I knew that I needed to be, you know, serving and supporting um, because, yeah. I, because I was in this controlled system. And now, you know, I've, I've been yeah. like you know, my, my privilege, I'm using my privilege to just be like, you know, throw off those chains. Like I'm done. I'm done with the chains. I'm done with the shackles. I'm ready to like, you know, move, move into my, move into my purpose um, and use the privilege I have. Exactly. Yep. And then this is that, like there's a part of that responsibility, a part of how we do that has got to be in community where we're having these sorts of conversations where it's not same, same, you know, there's a time for same, same, for sure. There's a level of work, deep work that has to be done, in my opinion, within communities. However, we also, if we're going to talk about accountability, if we're going to talk about growth, if we're going to not just read all of the good people who wrote the great books and they're dead and gone because they can never hold you accountable, if we're going to do all of that and not be in relationship, then what are we doing? That, that's a part of the responsibility that comes when you say something like we're shaking off the shackles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's a heavy word for yeah. me, shackles. Mm-hmm. Then there's a responsibility that comes with, with that shaking off. And this is what we're talking about here. This is how we learn to be more responsible yeah. by being in these conversations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Akila, before we switch gears and or not really switch gears, but kind of move into a different part of the conversation, um, I, yeah, you have in one of the, so I think it was in the TED talk that you did, um, and you and you say this frequently um, on the podcast is you know talking about mad question asking, and you know we'll give credit where credit is due to 
Um, a biggie on that one. Notorious VIP. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that we're doing as part of our work is uh, gathering music recommendations from our guests to kind of create a collective playlist. Um, you know, music is pretty um, influential in my life, and I know it is pretty uh, yeah. influential in a lot of people's lives. So, do you have a couple any music recommendations for us? Song recommendations that we could add to our list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, like, I love that part when you showed me, when you sent me the things with the questions. I was like, I love talking about music, of course, um, because it's such an important part of my life in terms of melody and rhythm, and also just as a writer um, and somebody who is constantly trying to get better at listening. A song, there's so many things to listen to in a song. You know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. You're listening to like, 50 things <laughs> at least happening at the same time. So um, some of the places where I'm really being fed with that now, Alice Coltrane, um, really just like pretty much anything Alice Coltrane has been really beautiful when I'm, when I'm like trying to figure something out, when I'm in figure out mode, um, because it's just so layered and it allows me to just kind of tap into embracing layeredness and not feeling like, oh my God, I can't figure it out. That's been really cool. There's this, I don't even, how did I even find this guy? Smino. <laughs> and it's not, uh, like his music, a lot of it is, I don't know. I just enjoy it. There's a thing about his cadence. There's a thing about his um, skill set. There's a variety of things that he's talking about that I really feel like I'm listening to an artist. I'm listening to somebody create and share and get vulnerable and their shit. And I've really been enjoying Samino. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. Well, I look, for, I'm going to look forward to adding those to the list. Um, it, you know, what you were saying about like you, you know, using that, um, that music in different ways when you're in different spaces and, you know, um, Alice Coltrane, when you're trying to figure out mode, um, I love that. Yeah. And, you know, there's, that's what I connect with most with music. I was talking to my partner about this the other day um, about, you know, you can listen to, you know, you listen to a song, right. And you, you might feel the, yeah. beat, feel the beat and it connects with you in some way and on, you know, on a visceral level and you're like, okay, I love, you know, something about this. I love this song. And then you read the lyrics and you're like, Oh, totally takes it to a whole new level right (laughs) and there's something there's something more yeah yeah. and and then you watch the music video and you're like you know mind blow like okay like (laughs) yeah there's so many layers to music then yeah yeah i love it exactly exactly and then you watch an interview with the artist yeah oh my god you know or or you might be like oh but then it doesn't change it you're like well whatever they made a you know a brilliant song I don't care like I'm gonna love it so and then even in the song itself it's like one of my favorite artists is Maxwell and he's also a composer um in addition to a singer and so when you listen to a lot of his stuff especially his first few albums they're like 45 different things happening before he even starts singing yeah (laughs) you know and and that's its own that's its own thing like I could just listen to that part before we even get to the words and then you get to the words and you're like oh my god so yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) me too 
Um, so the, you know, we have three guiding questions for our, for our guests and I am just going to put them out there and I, I know I had sent them to you ahead of time. So I know, I know you know what I'm going to ask, but, um, I would just want this to be an open format for you to share in whatever way makes sense. Share your perspectives on these questions. So the first question is how have you experienced oppression in your personal and professional life? What does self-liberation look and feel like for you? And then finally, what do you see as the path forward to collective liberation? The first one, because I looked at them and I made it a point to not go too deep. So the first one was about um, how I've oppressed, how I've experienced oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Personally and professionally. <laughs> uh, so I'm a black woman, you know, and I live in America. like pick a day I I just I feel like that for me is many many things I I live the experience that I live look that up and probably I can probably check off far more of those than I would like to in terms of feeling oppressed Mm -hmm. um, and experiencing oppression Um, so then in terms of self-liberation for me it looks and feels like what I do what I do with my life my my daughters have really been again just my guidance counsel in terms of finding a space where the things that have been really present in my life and the things that I care most about and I'm constantly led to whether I want to be there or not um, around privilege, parenting, and power. I get to do that. I get to be with that work. I get to work with families and in my own family and with organizations and have conversations like this about work that I want to be part of in the world. So that is liberation for me because typically people who look like me, we don't get to do what we want to do with our time. You know, we don't get to be who we want to be. We don't get to take up space and say the things and, you know, design what we need. So that I do feel like my liberation is, um, that I'm living it in, in many ways. And then um, you said, then the other one was about a pa- collective liberation. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. A path, right? A path yeah, towards, a path collective, towards liberation. collective liberation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really see unschooling <laughs> um, as, as is in the title of my book, as very much a place, a space, a practice where collective liberation is being put into practice and being realized because it is about being able to show up from a space where we recognize the role of oppression, how we carry it, how we perpetuate it, how it marionettes us, um, what our tendencies are, and then we can constantly make imperfect meaningful, mindful decisions about how we want to feel and what we want to do differently. And if we're doing that in these little circles, um, in our small circles and in our larger circles where we're putting this into practice, we learn the skills of liberation, which means each person can show up free to be themselves in ways where they understand which parts of themselves can be harmful in some spaces and what to do about that, where education is a right, not in a way where it means they're going to force you to like 
learn these particular things and check off boxes, but that it means you actually get to explore what learning looks like for you. Um, these are things that when we learn how to be together, to together safely, <laughs> then this, this is how we move. One way we move towards collective liberation. Yeah. Again, this is, this is where, you know, once I, when I came across your work, um, and what you're doing and what you are about as a person. Um, this is where I was like, yes, absolutely. I need this person in my life. And I need, other, I need everybody else in my life to hear her speak um, because and share this because I could not agree with you more. I work in education. Right. <laughs> I work. Yeah, in- that's what I was going to say. I know you know. I know you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's really, you know, um, the more and more that I have learned through, you know, both reading and more importantly, through experience, through conversations and being in community and really, you know, adhering to our first principle, which is to listen, effing listen. Um, yeah. I, I, it's become more and more clear to me how pervasive it is and how it's not just, you know, it's not just Abby being sensitive and thinking, you know, thinking that people are not doing things right, but it's like, no, these are these babies (laughs) that I am trying to serve and trying to support are being actively oppressed and, um, and forced to be in a very, very toxic environment. And, you know, it's, you know, attempting to try to, function within this system um, when there aren't very many uh, like-minded people and accomplices that I can call upon to help make change. Yeah. Um, it makes it really difficult. Um, and, you know, like the parents, the parents are being does. hurt, the parents are being hurt, the children are being hurt and teachers are being hurt. All are because being these, hurt. Even mm-hmm. when you do find accomplices, they are still, stuck in that same system. It still is like either how they generate income for their families or it is how they keep some type of connection with young people. It's so layered. It's only it were simple enough as to find enough people who really want to make change. If only it were that simple. It's so layered. This This is why for many of us, reform for so many industries ain't even a question. We can't even look at reform because it's rooted in the same broken, toxic, racist ideas. So if we're going to look at it, if we're talking about young people, for example, we're not just talking about teaching them. We're also talking about how are we stopping them from teaching us? This top-down idea of giving them education as opposed to cultivating and facilitating learning environments, Mm -hmm. that is costing the generations forward so much because we're just chasing along, acting like we know what's going on. And the young people who are in it, who are native to it, and they, yes, they still need context for some things. So do we. We, we have such a unnatural <laughs> relationship with our... You make me do this. Like, it's forcing us to maybe move away from, oh my God, learning to 
I wonder what might make them feel like they're learning. And that's what I'm excited about. Mm. That right there, that, that little window. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it's, it, it is a, it is such a big shift um, in mindset in approach and how we, you know, how we honor the individuality and the needs of children. And, you know, for, I, I live in a rural community um, that, you know, there's not a ton of resources here. Um, I mean, that's arguable. There are a lot of resources here, but maybe not being allocated in the way that they, that would be, um, you know, mm-hmm. serve the people. Um, yep. But it's, you know, it's, you know, guiding, guiding that shift um, to a place where we can um, support, support kids and support families and support teachers um, and, you know, allow teachers to do what they were trained to do, what they care about, what their hearts and their values are in, because there's so many, you know, so many of my friends and colleagues in this profession who are just, they're just burnt and broken yeah. And then they take it out Everybody on the children. Yeah. yeah. They take it out on the children. They take it out yeah. on the families and not intentionally, but like you said, they're in that headspace. Exactly. They're in like that. Yep. You know. Absolutely. The trap, the shackles, mm-hmm. back to the shackles, mm-hmm. the, the trap. They see what they want to do, but it, it's like it, you're penalized for doing it. I have teacher friends and family members who talk about that, the penalty of caring in a way that you're actually responding to what the child needs and not what the system says mm-hmm. and how it doesn't trust the humans, yet you're trying to make the whole thing about trust and parents are supposed to trust that the teachers who operate inside the system are telling them what's best for the kids. So then school becomes not only a thing that a kid is dealing with from whatever time to whatever time, but then schoolishness, that whole model is pervasive. It's everywhere. It's at home because we are extensions of it. It's in our jobs because that's what a standard school model prepares you for, another version of it. And you constantly need a leader, another carrot, another guide, and you're constantly moved away from understanding yourself um, and being in community that's uh, real <laughs> and not ones that are based on these hierarchies um, so that when you are in ones that are based on the hierarchies, you can discern between the human you know, and the system. And, and that's what a lot of that's a lot of what's tumbling now. People, companies are being forced to consider the humans inside the system. Right. And that's a big shift, right? And it, yeah. it's, it's kind yeah. of uncomfortable. It's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of uncomfortable and messy, but it's, you know, I think people are finally. They're happening. Yeah, it's, it is happening. The shift is happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we don't even have to guide the shift that much. Like we just mm-hmm. need to say that it's shifting and, and let it shift us. Mm-hmm. Let it, because it's not going to be something we can design. When we when we start listening more to young people about what they want to do, that's going to take a lot of letting, mm-hmm. not a lot of guiding. If a, if a kid says, yeah, when I'm playing video games all day for like a month, I feel like I'm learning something because these are the examples in some unschooling households, including mine. Mm -hmm. And somebody might be like, you know, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. That's irresponsible. However, I know from my actual experience, not conjecture, not books, and also other books, is that they are learning. It is me that has a very limited idea of what learning means. And also there are lots of studies about if I need the studies to validate 
um, what things are happening when a child is connecting to a particular game and understanding it. So, so in other words, there's some shifting that we have to orchestrate and guide, but then there's a lot of shifting that will just happen if we are paying attention and allowing that to, to allow us to question things. So then we say, oh, what else don't I understand? Hmm. What else could I be in support of that I, I thought was a problem that's actually not a problem? Right. Like you're, you're just yeah. you're asking smarter questions. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's that willingness, willingness to listen, willingness to hear, being curious about yes. what is and just like and yep. And like letting go of your preconceived notions of what has to happen. Right. Like what should be happening right now. Exactly. Yeah. I believe that we could go on having all sorts of conversations for a long time. <laughs> Because um, it touches on everything. This is what I, I was saying at the beginning, right? Like, <laughs> so, but we do need to wrap up. I know you have you have other obligations. Um, so, yes. before we before we head out, um, what are three tips that you could um, leave us with for our crew um, to help them in their on their journeys? I don't know. You might have to pull them from all the audios, like yeah. this conversation. I don't know that I can tell you three. I'll tell you one. Um, and, and because it's already, I know it's already connected to what you share all the time, mm-hmm. which is to just com- commit to becoming a better listener. Commit to that. There, it will never, ever steer you wrong to assume that you're not hearing everything have a context not because that should stop you from as we were talking about before taking the steps forward to to be vulnerable to make the mistake to learn um not so that it stops you from that but but quite the opposite you know so that it, it makes sure that you are you are orienting yourself consistently towards being able to be less because the more you listen the less you have the potential to become. That's the big tip that I would give. Mm-hmm. Commit to it. Prioritize it. Research listening. Get books on listening if you like to read the books. You know, just get into it. Um, ask the people that you love whether they feel listened to by you. And how do they know when you're listening? Get into listening. Yeah, that is our number one. That is our number one guide. And that that is the I think that is the number one path forward. And it has been, you know, I've had quite a few experiences over the past year, in particular, where, like, I had to realize how much I needed to bite my own tongue and just, like, be okay with those uncomfortable feelings and just open my ears. Yeah. And listen to not just what the Absolutely. words, not just the words. Listen to the body language, listen, you know, listen to your heart connection for sure. Absolutely. That's it right there. Like my mothering practice just continues to teach me that, that it's like, I sometimes just need to stop, just be quiet, just be quiet, just be quiet. Cause I know I have all the right answers, but if I could just be quiet, I'm going to listen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they need to figure out the right answers for themselves. Even if you know, you know, the answer. <laughs> Exactly. And sometimes <laughs> something that I know ain't even true. It's just what I know for me. It's right. It's be what's true for them. Exactly. You <laughs> think you know, but you don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Akila, before we jump off, um, 
we always like to share with our crew opportunities that for them to give a gift, share their resources, share their privilege to support you and or the work that you're doing. So are there any um, organizations that um, that you would recommend our crew look into, support with donations, support with time and volunteering that um, we could do for you? Oh, love that. Love that. So um, one space that I just continue to learn a lot from and feel encouraged by how they are tackling uh, both the self-directed education elements in terms of normalizing that and also the problematic elements uh, within different types of self-directed education is the Agile Learning Network. Um, the Agile Learning Network is as I mentioned, a self-directed education space. It's a set of uh, principles that are applied to different schools and centers and co-ops who believe that uh, learners and thing that a lot of our social justice work is really rooted in how we commune and relate intergenerationally. So I would say check out the Agile Learning Network. Um, lots of opportunities to volunteer locally, uh, to donate and to be part of the projects that are happening across the, the varying ALCs. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your sharing your wisdom with us and our crew. Um, I am so grateful for you. You are well, always welcome. Everybody's always welcome to join us on Saturdays for our action circle where we spend a month focused, kind of focused conversation, working to develop our skills as um, as accomplices, and um, you know where we share our wisdom in the service of generating action potential to maintain our maintain our uh, focus on always acting to um, dismantle systems of oppression. So, thank you for joining us, and I look forward you're so to welcome. yeah. No, you're so very welcome. I appreciate the conversation. I really did. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you so much for your time. I really, I really do appreciate it. And I, um, I hope that we find ways to connect in the future for sure. Cause I, I feel like our, our, our life, our life passion and our life work are very much in alignment. So. Oh, uh, that's yeah. awesome. Yes. Let's do it. Cool. So you know how to reach me. <laughs> I do, I do. All right, take care and be well. Right. Thank you. You too, Keila. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, joining in on this conversation that I had with Akila S. Richards. I welcome you all to join us on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Alaska time, 11 Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern for Radical Action Circles, where emerging activists come together to share wisdom in the service of generating action potential to maintain their anti-oppression activism. Peace be with you all, and we'll see you next time. It's Denisha and Aaron. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a pretty easy podcast. So pretty easy podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. 
Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm-hmm.